0: morning. Today is the day. It is August the 8th, 2019. Um, I want to lead off with um, a couple of headlines that have my heart troubled this morning. And I want us to acknowledge and be aware of these situations. I want us to be prayerfully concerned about the people involved. And then I want us to um, be activated in whatever way the God in whatever way God so leads you to be activated. So uh, you will not know yet the name of um, of, of Jimmy Jimmy Aldwad, um, but you are going to learn his name. He is a brother in Christ, 41 years old, uh, was you know grew up and lived in the Detroit area. He was deported to Iraq in June, and he died on Tuesday. Um, he he died on the streets in Iraq, um, a place he had never been his entire life a language he did not speak, uh, and a nation that did not want him. And so I want you to just consider for a moment uh, that you were born in a refugee camp instead of being born wherever you were blessed to have been born, and that as uh, refugees, your parents made their way to the United States of America a lifetime ago, nearly 40 years ago in Jimmy's case, Uh, So he he was raised here in the United States of America. He was educated here in the United States of America. And here in the United States of America, he had access to the insulin that he needed uh, to treat his diabetes. He was deported to Iraq um, as a part of uh, a U.S. effort um, related to the deportation of people with criminal records. And um, uh, Jimmy's a Chaldean Christian. Jimmy is a person with whom you and I, as Christians, are going to spend eternity. That's actually more important information than uh, where he was born or the circumstances of his his physical birth or, frankly, his national um, status. He's a brother in Christ, and so this is, needs to be a conversation about mercy. It needs to be a conversation about who we are as a people, and it needs to be a conversation about um, – I mean, real immigration reform. Now, the conversation that you are going to hear a lot about today are the immigration and customs enforcement raids that took place yesterday in the state of Mississippi. Many of the 680 people who were arrested yesterday are also Christians. They work in uh, chicken processing plants in Mississippi. Uh, They are... um, Uh, They are undocumented or they were not able yesterday to present documents to uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement agents. Yesterday was the first day of school for uh, the children of these 680 people who were not there when their kids got off the bus, were not there when little kids who went yesterday morning for the first day of kindergarten or the first day of first grade or second grade or on up, Their moms and dads were not there at the end of the day. And I want you to think about that for just a moment. Um, We as neighbors, we as fellow Christians, we as fellow citizens of the United States of America, we're now going to live with the consequences of American citizens. These kids were born here, of American citizens citizens who are forever now going to remember the first day of school of the 2019-2020 school year. They're going to remember this. And so when we talk about immigration and when we talk about uh, people's immigration status and when we talk about documents or people being undocumented, we're talking about people who have kids and people who went to work yesterday uh, in order to earn the money to put food on the table and a roof over uh, the heads and, and clothes on the backs and school supplies in the backpacks and on and on and on and on. Who exactly was supposed to take care of those children when they got off of those buses yesterday? And could we think for just a minute about that consequence before we arrested their parents yesterday at work with no plan, no plan of how we were gonna care for those children who got off the bus. So I want us to be people who um, who think about whether or not this is who we want to be as a people. It was not the Trump administration who did this. In the United States of America, we the people are the government. And so if this is not who we want to be and this is not how we want to treat people, then we the people need to do something about it. All right. My um, first conversation partner this morning is Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. He and I are going to turn our attention to uh, the responses, the backlash related to the shootings in El Paso and Dayton, specifically in relationship to the Second Amendment. So we are going to be talking about guns. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: is my
2: right a right given by god
0: to live a free life ben johnson is back he is with the acton institute you can find him at acton A-C-T-O-N.org. you can also find him on twitter at the rights writer ben welcome back
1: good to be with you again
0: Okay, so um, we are going to tread into a conversation this morning that um, we need to have, but uh, I'm also a little hesitant to have, because I don't exactly know where to start. So let's do this. Remind us um, what the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution is, and then tell us why we are talking about it today.
1: The Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution guaranteed the uh, the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, it was Of course, part of the original Bill of Rights and uh, something that the uh, anti-federalists demanded in order to ratify the Constitution. We're talking about it today because uh, of the mass shootings that uh, we've experienced over the last week, particularly in El Paso and uh, and Dayton, Ohio, within uh, 24 hours of one another, claiming 31 lives so far. Uh, That toll may, in fact, increase uh, just as the Christchurch shooting toll increased by 10 in the months after that shooting. So uh, there's there's a continued push on whenever there's a mass shooting, uh, national attention turns to efforts to change gun control laws in one way or another, to introduce new forms of restrictions, or to ban certain types of weapons.
0: Okay, so the nation is um, is is having the same conversation that we seem to have every time we experience one of these mass shootings. I mean, I'm in particular thinking about, you know, the reaction response to Sandy Hook and the shootings at um, the Sandy Hook elementary school in, in Connecticut. Um, But, but you are really pressing us um, to have a little bit of a different conversation in terms of what we are dealing with in terms of these shooters. So while, while we are going to have a conversation about um, gun control I think that the conversation you are hoping that we're going to have, based on what you've posted at uh, blog.acton.org, is that we would have a conversation about, what is the language here, Uh, the rise of racial collectivist terrorism. So uh, tell us what you're talking about and the conversation you think we should be having.
1: Well, I think that we need to recognize this for exactly what it is, which is terrorism. And the definition of terrorism is using violence for political ends. Anyone who posts a manifesto, anyone who says that I hope this shooting achieves a certain political outcome is by definition a terrorist. So El Paso was certainly an act of terrorism. We don't know yet the full motivation of the uh, shooter in Dayton, so we'll leave that one aside. But El Paso, Christchurch, Poway, uh, the synagogue shooting in California, these are all acts of political terrorism by people who are white nationalists, who uh, have a racial point of view. But if you look at their manifestos, they have – they sort of blend racialism with a, a an overall collectivist view of of the world, so for example, the Christchurch shooter Brendan Tarrant, uh, referred to himself as an eco fascist and uh, the the individual uh, Patrick crucius, who pulled off the El Paso shooting, talked about uh, the need first of all to uh, to lower the Hispanic population, and he found a way to do that by about twenty. but then he continued that uh, part of the reason that we need to do that, for example, is to lower overpopulation and because uh, there would be competition uh, and and uh, one of the quotations from his manifesto is that achieving ambitious social projects like universal healthcare and universal uh, b- basic income would become far more likely to succeed if tens of millions of dependents are removed. So he wanted to remove non-white dependents from the system in order to change American social legislation and economic legislation. So that's the definition. Uh, of this, this term, uh, racial collectivist terrorism, which is that they're collectivists in economics, but they want to solidify that collectivism within one ethnic group, and they're willing to use political terrorism in order to bring it about.
0: Okay, um, this is not who America is. I mean, um, Americans are not American because we are all of one ethnicity. I mean, am I am I just so off base in my... Uh, my understanding of America as, you know, like a legitimate melting pot?
1: You couldn't be more on base. Uh, that's that's certainly the way that uh, generations of us have conceived of this country is as a melting pot of all races, cultures, nationalities, where people can come here, and as long as they uh, adhere to our Constitution and our American way of life, everyone is welcome here, uh, and we live together in peace and harmony. And that was more or less the, the point of view that all of us held until very recently in the sort of higher academic culture where identity politics came in and it reimagined America's history where uh, the fact that most most nations have been ethnically based. Uh, Ronald Reagan was always fond of saying you can go to France but you can't become a Frenchman. You can go to China but you can't become Chinese but anyone can become an American. And that's, that's the way that we have viewed our culture through time. That, that inclusion that is at the heart of uh, the American experiment has been read out of American history. History has been viewed exclusively in terms of Amer- America's defects, uh, our, our long, uh, peculiar institution of slavery and Jim Crow, and everything else, uh, the, the fact that we had within America the, uh, the ability to cure what was wrong with America by what was right with America, has been excised from uh, American textbooks, and then America has essentially been balkanized into various different ethnic groups and, and uh, different forms of identities, uh, and now I- increasing with gender identities as well. So we're balkanizing further and further into this identity, and you can't help but have conflict. And when various, uh, various groups begin to, to uh, act that way and uh, to, uh, to demonize American history, then uh, people who were never radicalized become radicalized, and violence becomes more palpable across the board.
0: All right. um, we got to take a quick break, but Ben Johnson and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. If you've got specific questions you'd like me to ask or concerns you'd like me to raise, you can always send them to me on our text line, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Ben Johnson is with me again this morning from the Acton Institute. You can find it at acton.org. And the Wall Street Journal actually profiled Acton uh, in in something called When the Market Meets Morality by William McGurn. Um, ben, can we talk about that piece in particular? Because I, I think that, you know, I refer to you being affiliated with the Acton Institute and acton.org and then, Um, There are probably a lot of folks that don't even know what that is and what it means, um, who Father Sirico uh, is. So will you just um, brief us in on when the market meets morality?
1: It's a pleasure to see this uh, appear in the Wall Street Journal in their weekend interview section this past Saturday. Uh, The Acton Institute was founded in 1990. Acton is based on uh, Lord Acton, Lord John Acton, who is best known for his quotation that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, that that really is the key uh, we believe to understanding power dynamics and uh, what happens when government becomes the sole arbiter of of morality. We think that instead, uh, markets and morality are really what drive uh, human flourishing across the board. The Acton Institute was founded in 1990 by uh, Father Robert Sorico and Chris Malron, and uh, essentially what uh, what we look for are the principles that. Uh, encourage human flourishing and a free and virtuous society in the United States, and particularly in my uh, uh, aspect as the editor of Religion and Liberty Transatlantic around the world, how we can encourage those principles. Uh, So one of of the things the piece focuses on is the fact that we believe very strongly that markets are important, uh, but markets are not enough. They are necessary, but they're not sufficient for human flourishing. You know, this came up at the uh, Democratic debate. Marianne Williamson, who's probably the most spiritual person on the stage, uh, referred to markets as amoral and uh, that uh, they were a kind of a false god. Well, the fact is that uh, the market isn't a, a moral mechanism. The market will equally produce whatever the values of the people who are living in that society demand that it produce. So the free market will equally produce Bibles or pornography, depending on the values of the people. What's important, though, is that we, we have a conscience that's well-formed. We have religious principles that pervade that in order to shape what it is that society produces. Uh, A communist or command economic system doesn't do any better, it just produces less. So we we need to focus on producing as much prosperity as possible in order to share it around the world and to bring as many people into uh, an area where they can use their gifts and their their, uh, talents to the best of their ability to help others instead of just trying to scrape in order to get by. That's really what's at the heart of the Acton Institute.
0: So capitalism is not the enemy of uh, becoming a good society? Because that's what we're told over and over and over again. We're told that corporations are, you know, they're bad, um, which is interesting because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, I mean, everything today is, in, is incorporated, like nonprofits are corporations. So when we use this language, right, it's a little bit confusing. But I think that we are, we're being told that corporations are bad. We're being told that capitalism is bad. Um, and and yet we're being told that by uh, a culture that has really no set categories, no way of of actually determining what is good or bad. And you guys are really speaking into that.
1: And I think that's really what uh, the value that we add is to to show that uh, when it comes to these kinds of eco- these kinds of economic decisions, it's important that we look at them clearly, that we understand what a market is, and uh, the way that markets and morality interact with one another. You're right, uh, society has decimated our sense of morality when it comes to every other aspect, and yet somehow they say that the market by allowing people to interact freely is immoral. Uh, I, I, if you don't have any morality, then by definition there is no immorality, but uh, that they never seem to put those two together. Uh, by the same definition, you're right, a corporation is nothing more than a group of people who come together. It's a group of individuals who join together for a common purpose. It may be business, it may be nonprofit it's just a group of people it's individuals it's nothing more than that uh, and so a corporation is no better or worse than the people who make it up uh, and what what we must uh, look at is the fact that free exchange allows people uh, to to live out their own values and when you look at uh, command economics when whoever controls the gold controls the rules uh, to to make a, a, a play on the, the golden rule as, as they have said he who has the gold makes the rules when the government has the gold what that means is in a command economic system, they decide what morality you will live and the way that you can live your life. Having having free exchange and having your own money gives you agency, it gives you freedom, it gives you the ability to live out the values that you cherish and hold so deeply, and without that freedom, then you have to live someone else's morality, and ultimately it circumscribes your own sanctification.
0: Okay, so I have a lead for you in terms of something I would love to see somebody publicly reflect on. Um, As I'm hearing these conversations take place about, um, uh, well, it's about the law and it's about the application of the law. I keep hearing um, pundits refer to splitting the baby dividing the baby cutting the baby in half now i i know what that's a reference to right that's a that's a biblical reference but nobody journalistically seems to be making that connection for people they're just allowing people to throw that reference out there in public and never define it so there you go there's a lead for something that you can write about so that we can then talk about it
1: yes well thank you i'm always (laughs) looking for materials i know
0: I know people can send. Hey Ben, how can people communicate with you if they have ideas for things they'd like to uh, they'd like to communicate with you directly? What's the best way?
1: Well, uh, uh, honestly, online at Twitter is a good way. You've mentioned that my handle is the Rights Writer, R I G H T S Writer, like paperback writer, but I write about human rights, uh, or the Rights Writer at Gmail dot com. So same same spelling.
0: I know. And then they can find you at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G as well. Would, ben, thank you be nice so to... much.
1: Thank oh, you. Go God ahead. bless. Go
0: ahead. We got 30 seconds. Uh, I was seconds. just going to say ahead.
1: it would be nice to hear from your listeners. I, I hear from the anti-fans all the time. So <laughs> be nice for some constructive criticism for once. Thank you. God bless.
0: OK. OK. All of my um, happy people who love Ben Johnson, you've got to reach out to him. Uh, the rights writer uh, on Twitter. Or reach out to him at acton.org. He needs a little encouragement. There you go. That's we're in the world to encourage one another. We'll be right back. All righty. So it is the day the Lord has made. I think we always need to be mindful of that. Um, And there are people who are waking up today in Dayton and in El Paso and in other places across the country and around the world Um, who are looking for light and hope in the midst of what has become a valley of a shadow of death and darkness and into that walk people of light the billy graham evangelistic association sends what is called the rapid response team into places like el paso and dayton and frankly into places like the city of chicago where um where murders take place at at such a rate that it's just even hard to imagine um, and so we want to talk with representatives today from um, from the Billy Graham Association and their rapid response team. And so Al New will be here in just a minute to fill us in on how that all works and how we can participate. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So folks often ask, like, well, how could I hear that conversation again? I, I missed something that you said, or I want to remember what book you talked about, or um, hey, I just, I was busy and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't hear the live program. Well, you can go to MyFaithRadio.com and you can click on the podcast link and, or the podcast tab, or you can just click on the tab for Mornings with Carmen. And um, what you'll find there is a whole menu of the conversations that we have here each and every day and they're actually broken up into segments and then into chapters so if you just wanted to pass along let's say the conversation that we had with Brian Bays about friendship Christian friendship and how we cultivate Christian friendship you could you could do that you could say hey I want to share that with a friend of mine you can click on it you can share it you can download it you can listen to it Um, and you can always subscribe to the podcast and then you'll never miss a show so you can do all of that at myfaithradio.com Do you know what your
2: enough is? Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. In a culture where more is better, the idea of enough almost seems like a foreign concept. It is certainly countercultural. We buy a starter home with every intention of trading up to a bigger one. We find all kinds of reasons to justify a new car, and that quickly becomes not enough too. Phones, computers, dishwashers, they're all updated almost every year with some new bell or whistle. For me, it's honestly tempting to want all the newest models. But when your purpose in life is bigger than material things, defining your enough becomes easier. It's figuring out what you need to take care of yourself and your loved ones, and sharing what you have with others, and honestly, enjoying it all along the way. Ask God to help you figure out what your enough You'll find yourself with less money stress so you can live a more content, confident, and generous life.
0: So how are Christians responding to mass shootings, uh, such as those that took place in Dayton, Ohio, and El Paso, Texas over the weekend? How is it that Christians are responding when our neighbors are in crisis because of a natural disaster or because of an act of terrorism. Um, The answer to that question in part is how the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association sends out what they call rapid response teams. And with us today is Al New from the BGEA rapid response team. Al, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
3: Thank you, Carmen. Appreciate being here.
0: So um, let's start with what our... um, what are you guys seeing in dayton and in el paso
3: well i'm here in el paso on the ground and uh we arrived here on sunday morning or sunday afternoon i'm sorry and uh immediately made our way to where the crowds were gathering for a memorial site uh and what we found were, were very heavy hearts and uh grieving and uh hurting people uh following what had taken place here in el paso uh, a place that they uh, continuously tell us that things like this was never expected to happen.
0: I'm, 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 I'm betting Al that that's what you hear everywhere you go. Like you hear, this is not supposed to happen here. This is not who we are. Um, this is not how we treat people. This is not our community. Um, that's a, that's a traumatic, like wake up when people realize they're waking up in a world that is not as they thought it was um i'm guessing that that you guys experience that pretty much everywhere you go
3: how oh, we sure do uh one of the one of the differences here in el paso uh is the culture of the people uh a lot of places we go people don't stick together even after a, a mass shooting uh but here uh the communities come together and they've been together and we're seeing thousands of, of people daily uh just gathered at the memorial sites uh just holding each other up and, and loving on each other to get through this uh, traumatic event they've been through. So, Al, when
0: you um, – w- well, let's start with um, what is the rapid response team and why? Why does the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association – Um, respond to tragedies like i think there's some people are going to think that that's not what an evangelistic association should be doing but there's a real motivation in in your heart to do this
3: sure uh in most cases you know uh the physical side of things can be taken care of uh, but what's lacking when something like this takes place is emotional spiritual care Mm -hmm. so the billy graham rapid response team that's what we are we come and uh We come alongside of those who are hurting and grieving as a ministry of presence. uh, And we just stand with them, uh, pray with them, minister with them. And we don't care what their backgrounds are uh, because they're all God's children. And uh, we'll just be right there ministering to them to encourage them uh, through emotional, spiritual care and give them hope through Jesus Christ.
0: I'm talking with Al New from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association Rapid Response Team. We are talking about uh, the chaplains who are responding after the deadly shootings in both Texas and Ohio, but we could be talking out about um, really a response to a natural disaster. We could be talking about a response to um, to, to virtually anything. You guys deploy in all kinds of situations. Um, and so can you just talk a little bit about that process?
3: Yeah, sure. When anything happens, uh, you know, including internationally, Uh, The rapid response team may deploy, uh, depending on the situation. But uh, in the United States, of course, we have our own natural disasters and international. And uh, it's the same thing when you go into an area that's been devastated by a storm or a flood or a a hurricane. Uh, People are grieving uh, a lot of physical loss, and then there can be a lot of death also. Uh, We also go international as far as uh, when there's terrorism. Uh, we send our chaplains international to uh, be there at the memorial sites and, once again, to comfort those who are hurting. Uh, so we do. We do respond to the natural disasters. Uh, we also respond to civil unrest such as Ferguson and Baltimore. So we're a well-rounded rapid response team of crisis management trained chaplains, and our goal is to go in and where the physical and the uh, the other help is there but there's lacking is then that is the emotional spiritual care and that's what we want to offer and give them hope
0: tell us a story um al um you know of of somebody that you have encountered um obviously you know we're not we're not trying to expose people's pain unnecessarily but we are trying to help people understand what um what people are experiencing and then how you are engaging with that pain because i I think it's helpful for people to hear the stories of what the experiences are of of people um in in el paso and in dayton so tell us tell us a story
3: yeah we uh we have a lot of stories along this uh front line here at the el paso memorial Uh, but one that stands out with me is we have a lot of pastors too that are hurting uh their congregations are feeling the grief and the pain the pastors are feeling it because this is their area Uh, and I had a pastor come to me, uh, who had been out praying, uh, for those who had been injured and in the hospital. And he made his way to our mobile ministry center because he needed prayer. It was causing him to have a flashback to two years ago when he had his own personal crisis with his daughter and he just needed to be able to talk and be ministered to, to help him get through this. And, uh, we did that. And, uh, He walked away, feeling much better and went back out into the crowd and started ministering again.
0: I love the way the body of Christ, um, you know, functions appropriately. Um, and so I'm wondering if we can let folks know how we can encourage you and how we can encourage other members of the rapid response
3: team today. Yeah. The greatest thing that uh, everybody listening to this can do for us is to hold us up in prayer. Uh, Our chaplains, uh, as they're out ministering to the people here, they're hearing story after story after story. And, of course, that's accumulating in their minds, too. And so we know that prayer is what uh, takes care of us and uh, keeps us going. And we know that uh, through the prayer that God will refresh our minds and our hearts to continue the ministry.
0: So, um, Al, can we pray for you before we we go to the break?
3: Oh, I, I really appreciate that very much.
0: Father, we come before you with our brother, Al. We, um, we pray um, we pray over him, and we pray for the other members of uh, the Rapid Response Team. We pray for the chaplains who are literally on the front line of ministry right now in El Paso, Texas, and in Dayton, Ohio, and in other places across the country and around the world where people are hurting and in need. Um, We thank you for these men and women who represent Christ and represent the body of Christ, putting flesh on the gospel. We ask that they would be um, strengthened in power through your Holy Spirit in their inner beings, that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith, um, that they would be uh, rooted and established in love, that they would have the power together with all of your people um, to communicate how wide and long and high and deep your love is for people in Christ Jesus, and that the love of Christ would extend to more and more people through this um, expression of the gospel. Uh, We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Al, thank you so much um, for for joining us today, and thank you so much for what you're doing there on the ground. Um, On Christ's behalf in El Paso, please pass along our gratitude to others.
3: I sure will. Thank you, Carmen.
0: Friends, we got to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Well, that would have been interesting music to come back on, Paul, if um, if Al had still been with us. So, um, I think that uh, one of the things that Paul Perot and I were recognizing is that our brother Al sounded exhausted. Um, Paul, did you did you yeah. hear that in his voice? I, I heard yeah. that in his
1: voice. It's like he's he's obviously been, obviously been working really hard trying to help people. And as I was talking to you off air, it's like okay, these people train to go into trauma situations and do this, but at, at some point, where do they get the healing? I mean, they themselves are starting to bear the burden of it. And you could hear it on his voice.
0: Well, and we are. Uh, it never ends, yeah. right? It's not as it's not as if oh we can deploy. Um, and respond to one crisis, and then there's going to be time to to take a step back and heal, because these things are happening in such literally rapid succession. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, um, wow, maybe we just need to encourage Christians today to be sure we are caring for one another, and we are caring for those people who are literally on the front lines of compassion uh, ministries.
1: Yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. when you think that for them to do effective ministry, just like Christ, they have to take the burden, the trauma on themselves to at some level. And yeah. They they need yeah, to, they need it's the support.
0: Hard. Yeah. It's hard. Okay, so um, if you are uh, if you're out there today on the front line of ministry, which really the truth of the matter is you are on the front line of ministry, whoever you are, whatever you are walking into today as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven, you are actually on the front line of ministry. So let me speak to a moment um, to those of you who are going to spend the day at home or you are going to spend the day um, on the front line of prayer. Um, you have the possibility of advocating uh, on behalf of uh, Christians who are like Al, who are in El Paso, Christians who are in Dayton, Christians who are in Mississippi, figuring out how to respond and accommodate the children uh, of 680 parents who were arrested yesterday. And um, and now those kids got to figure out this morning how to go to the second day of school in the same clothes um you know, probably not with the lunches that their moms would have packed. And so um, there's trauma happening in people's lives. Uh, Hundreds of people died last night across the United States of America because of opioid overdoses. And um, many of them had kids. So the traumas that people are waking up to today are many. There will be people today who will get devastating um, diagnoses related to either their own personal health or the health of a loved one. There is trauma out there. There is brokenness. These are what I call the mean times for a reason. So we talk about the mean time. We live in days that feel mean, like mean. And so I want you to consider what it means for you as a person indwelt by the Holy Spirit of the living God, to bring the gospel to bear today in some tangible way on the life of another person. What does it mean for you and I to walk the gospel out into the world um, with all of its beauty and truth in a way that is light in the mean times? People are experiencing the meanness today um, of racism. They're experiencing the meanness of um, uh, of xenophobia. They're, they're experiencing the meanness of of just a culture that has no respect for life, um, on and on and on. And so you and I are God's people. We are the body. We are the hands and the feet and the voice. Um, We're the ones who who can give hugs and walk alongside and hold a hand or be a shoulder to lean on. And so God's going to call on you today to pray. He's going to call on you to step out. He's going to call on you to step up. He's going to call on you to take a stand, to stand firm. um, And I want you to be equipped to do that. That's um, When we talk about my why and why I get up every morning to do what I do, um, that's a huge part of my why. I want you to be fully equipped for every good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do. And I don't know what all of those good works are going to be. Um, I don't know all of the divine appointments that God has already set Um, But God knows, and so I trust that when we till the soil of these conversations each and every morning, God is uh, equipping you by the power of his Holy Spirit with his word um, to enter into the conversations that he knows you're going to have today, the opportunities that he knows you're going to have today, to represent, represent Christ and so as you um, prepare to walk into this day, maybe you're already on your way um, into work, maybe you're already on your way to school, maybe you're already uh, in the drop-off line um, in, the, in the first week of school, maybe you are still on vacation Um, maybe vacation isn't over, and so the ministry that's going to be ahead of you today is with um, service personnel who are doing jobs uh, in in order to enable you to enjoy the place or space where you are um, away from home, each and every one of those precious people is dealing with something. Many of them are dealing with trauma, some kind of trauma in in life or relationship. They're living right on the very edge of, of um, of economic disaster, um, and some of them are living in outright fear. And so, let's be people today who walk the gospel out into the world with a, a deep sense of compassion, uh, letting letting our lights so shine before others that not that people would see us, but that they would see God, and that they would know that He loves them, and that He has done everything necessary to have a restored relationship with them, that they could walk in peace even in the midst of a world of total chaos. So let's be those people today. Uh, don't, never grow weary. As, as uh, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae says, uh, never grow weary in doing good. Let us be encouraged today in the faith that we could, um, shine the light of Christ to others. Hey, many of you have asked this week, um, how Matthew is. Thank you for your prayers for us and for him. He is recovering. He's doing great. He does have an incision that goes from, you know, one at the top of one ear all the way over, uh, his head to the top of the other ear, and they did shave his head. So his, his biggest concern in going back to school as an eighth grader, um, is that he? Uh, he's not happy that he's bald, and he's not happy that everybody can see that incision. And so, just pray for that. Um, <laughs> you know, middle schoolers, right? Uh, that can be hard. So, um, uh, so he is healing. Thank you for your continued prayers for him. He's not back in school yet. Uh, that that will happen next week. So, just prayer prayers for his uh, continued healing, and thank you for the ways that you lift up our family. All right, I got to take another quick break, and then we'll be right back. All right, so in, uh, in our next hour together, we are going to talk with Juliana Tamaruzi. She is the president of the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. We're going to talk about our brothers and sisters in Christ and the plight of Christians in Iraq. We're going to talk specifically about uh, the case of uh, Chaldean Christians being deported back to Iraq, a place they've never lived, a language they don't speak, a country that doesn't want them, Um, and and what's going on uh, in relationship to all of that. We're also going to visit with Justin early again about the common rule. He and I are specifically going to till the soil of one specific rule. We're going to talk about what it looks like to delve into the Bible before we turn on our phones. So that leads me to the question that I often ask, where in the word are you today? I mean, while I appreciate that you're listening to us here, um, I want you to be listening to the Lord our God first and foremost. So where in the word... Are you today? Uh, did you start the year with a Bible reading plan? How's that going? Uh, it, what are you reading? What are you filling your life with in terms of the Word of God? You and I both recognize that the, that the world is going to you know put pressure on us today. There are going to be the there are going to be ways in which um, uh, you know we are pressed in upon. And then the question is, what's going to come out of us? And if we're full of the Word of God, then what comes out of us is going to be. Uh, grace and truth right if we're full of the spirit what comes out is going to be the spirit if we're full of something else or if we have failed to fill our lives with the word of God then when the pressures of this day come what's going to come out of us is not it's not going to be pretty so let me encourage you to be in the word in order that what comes out of you today would be the word and be consistent with the word all right you're listening to mornings with Carmen we'll be right back